Welcome, everybody. I think we're going to go ahead and get started here. I'm sure we'll have some people trickle in, but we're just going to start by touching on a few logistical things, the syllabus, some things of those nature, so people can come in as we're talking about that. Uh, welcome to the next River Christian Training class. Uh, I just want to walk through the syllabus just to make sure you all have an idea, a little bit of an understanding of where we're going in the next four weeks. So if you registered beforehand, Aaron sent out an email last week that had the syllabus in it, so maybe you've already seen it. If you are just showing up today and you didn't register, that's great. We're glad you're here. However, we would like you to go ahead and register. So if you decided just, hey, I'm going to show up today, we're glad you're here, but please do follow that QR code and register. Uh, the reason for that is we're going to be sending out announcements week to week between classes, and we want you to be in the loop about what's coming and to have access to the resources afterwards. So if you haven't registered, go ahead and do that. The name of this class, as you can see on the screen, is Knowing and Loving God and Making God's Love Known to Others, which is our motto here at River. You see it plastered on the wall out there by the child check-in area. But really what we hope to accomplish in this class is to make that motto a way of life, or at least to give you some tools to make that a way of life. And so twofold, two, two of the big things we're going to do, we're going to talk about the spiritual disciplines. So how do we know and love God? What are some methods, some ways to do that? And then how do we make God's love known to others? That'll be the last class. We'll talk about evangelism and some tools for discipleship. So we're going to meet the next four uh, the next three Sundays after this one, so four consecutive weeks, 2.30 to 4, every, every week we'll be in here. The format of the class will mostly be lecture, so Brenda and I are co-teaching, and so we'll be splitting the lecture portion of the class, and then uh, time permitting, we'll have a little bit of time for questions at the end. Uh, it may work out that there will be classes where we're talking about a specific discipline, and we'll give you an opportunity to do an exercise during the class to practice that discipline. And I know at the end of the class we're planning also to give you some opportunities to practice, so, you know, some exercises to practice between classes uh, most of the time, some of these disciplines that we're talking about. Uh, the required text for the class is Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. So if you've signed up, you're planning to do the assignments, or if you're in the training center, you need to be sure to get a hold of this book and do the reading that's in the syllabus for each week. Uh, if you're not planning to do the assignments, I still encourage you to get the book and read along. It's great for repetition to hear two different times some of the material we're talking about. There are assignments. If you signed up to do the assignment portion, the information about the assignments will be in the syllabus. A little different than some of the previous classes, there are going to be two assignments that we ask you to do for this class. One of them will be synthesizing some of the information we talk about in this first class and then the other one will be actually practicing a spiritual discipline that we talk about and then writing a reflection based on that. So that's just a brief overview of where we're going as you just so you know kind of what we're going to be talking about week to week. This afternoon I'm going to talk about the nature and purpose of the spiritual disciplines and then Brenda's going to begin talking about the discipline of Bible intake. She's going to continue in that next week. I'm going to talk about worship, the spiritual discipline of worship. The third week, we're going to talk about the disciplines of prayer, silence and solitude and fasting. And then the final week, we'll talk about evangelism and discipleship. So that gives you a picture of, of where we're headed. 
Uh, if you have any more questions about the syllabus, sign up, register. Aaron's going to send out another email this coming week with the syllabus in it, so you can see it there if you want to look more into the assignments and those types of things. So our goal today is twofold. The first thing that I want us to do is to identify the nature and the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. That is, what are the spiritual disciplines and why do we practice them? That's going to be what I'm going to be talking about this afternoon. And then Brenda's going to come up and she's going to start discussing the spiritual discipline of Bible intake, different ways we read the Bible, why we should practice some different methods for reading the Bible and their benefits to us. So I want to speak to the nature and the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. So let's start with a definition. Uh, anytime we talk about anything, it's good to define terms. So I just want to start with a basic working definition for the spiritual disciplines. This comes straight from Whitney in his book. Here's how he defines the spiritual disciplines. <clears throat> he says, The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. <clears throat> so here's just a few things that I want us to note about this definition. First, that these spiritual disciplines are practices. Okay, they're activities. They're not attitudes. They're not personality traits. They're not character qualities. They're not fruit of the Spirit. They're habits. They're habits of devotion that we do. Second thing is I want you to notice that we're talking about those spiritual disciplines that are found in Scripture. They've been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. There may be certain activities for you. Maybe it's exercise or gardening or painting, playing the guitar that you find enjoyable, that you find lead you into worship. They're emotionally regulating for you, physically grounding, all of those things. But as we're defining them here, those would not be spiritual disciplines. Our, our focus in this class is going to be those disciplines that are laid out explicitly in the scriptures. Third thing to note in this definition, the disciplines do not endow us with spiritual life. Right? The reading your Bible, praying, that is not a way for us to receive spiritual life in the sense of receiving salvation. We all acknowledge that we receive spiritual life, we receive salvation by turning from our sin, by trusting in Jesus, his work on the cross, his atoning sacrifice, his resurrection to save us. There is no spiritual discipline that is going to make us right with God in the way that the gospel exclusively can. However, as people who have received spiritual life through the gospel, the disciplines become a necessary tool in cultivating and developing this life that we've received from God through the gospel. So they don't endow us with spiritual life. They do not impart to us spiritual life. Jesus, through the gospel, does that. But they're tools to promote the spiritual growth that we uh, have received in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk more about that as we go on and talking about the nature and purpose of the disciplines. But the last thing I want you to see here about this definition of the spiritual disciplines is that they're a component of exper experiential Christianity. In other words, they're the primary way by which we as persons enter into fellowship with the living God who is a person. They're the primary way by which we begin to know him personally, to be shaped by his word, by his character and his activity. And although we may not experience God in a phenomenological kind of way, in an experiential kind of way, every time we practice the spiritual disciplines, 
We certainly can't experience him in that way apart from the spiritual disciplines, at least not in a way that's meaningful or trustworthy. So that's a working definition of the spiritual disciplines from Whitney, straight from his book. So now that we've talked about a definition, let's talk about the nature of the spiritual disciplines. What are they? And I want to start by talking about the spiritual disciplines as disciplined grace. One of the things that I think can be difficult for people to grasp when they start thinking about the spiritual disciplines is this biblical tension between grace and effort. So very early on, uh, when you became a Christian, someone probably taught you Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? We're taught, and rightfully so, that salvation is something we receive from God as a free gift through faith. Conversely, that salvation is not something that we can achieve from God by any measure of our good works. So this is something we learn very on, hopefully in the Christian life, that our salvation is something we receive by grace through faith, not something that we work for and achieve. But then what often happens is this person who helps us to understand this concept goes on to then say very quickly, but you need to start reading your Bible, you need to start praying, you need to start coming to church, You need to start doing this and this and this and this. And in our minds, that gets twisted up sometimes. Those things start to seem contradictory. We start asking the question, well, why do I need to do all of these things if I'm saved by grace and I can't achieve any measure of God's love? Why am I doing all of these things? And the distinction that's important to make is the distinction between effort and earning. Okay, the distinction between effort and earning. Dallas Willard famously said, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. So grace, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, the free gift of grace through faith, is is opposed to the idea that we can earn favor from God, but it's not opposed to the idea that we should give effort in pursuit of God. In fact, if you read through the scriptures and you look at all the places where God pours out his grace on an individual, you will see that grace never indicts effort. It always inspires it. You'll see that grace always meets that person where they're at, but it never leaves them there for very long. It spurs them along to take action, to make effort in their pursuit of God. And there are few places in the Christian life where this reality shows up more clearly than in the practice of the spiritual disciplines. Richard Foster is the author of another more charismatic book on the spiritual disciplines called The Celebration of Discipline. And I I disagree with him at certain points and some of his emphases as he talks about the spiritual disciplines, but he has a really helpful insight on this dynamic between grace, effort, and earning as it relates to the spiritual disciplines. So he describes the process of practicing the spiritual disciplines as walking the path of disciplined grace. Walking the path of disciplined grace. So he says, we rightly understand this relationship between grace, effort, and earning when we view the spiritual disciplines as a means by which we place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. So we're 
acknowledging that God alone, by his grace and his power, has the ability to effectively change us, to truly and lastingly transform our lives. And at the same time, we acknowledge that we must make responsible effort to put ourselves in the position that allows God to do that. This is the path of disciplined grace. And this is the path we walk when we correctly practice the disciplines. But if there's a path, then there are ditches, a ditch on each side. So one of the ditches that Foster talks about is the ditch of moralism. He calls it the heresy of moralism. And he says we fall into this ditch in practicing the spiritual disciplines when we overemphasize our effort and ability in getting the spiritual disciplines done but neglect the necessary grace that God must provide to give true and lasting change to our lives. Our effort quickly slips into an attitude of earning. So what happens, this happens to all of us, doesn't it? We start to focus on this, these external acts. I've got my Bible reading plan. I'm checking them off. I'm going through the motions. I'm getting it done. But we forget to consider the grace of God that must be at work to change our lives. This is the tragedy of the Pharisees. They became very focused on an external form of righteousness, but their hearts were far from God. That's what Jesus condemns them for. So this is the heresy of moralism on this side of the path of disciplined grace. And the ditch on the other side is one that Foster calls the heresy of antinomianism or the heresy of lawlessness. And he says we fall into this ditch when we overemphasize God's grace and his prerogative to shape us as he chooses, but we neglect our personal responsibility to approach him through the spiritual disciplines. So our overemphasis on God's grace and his prerogative stymie our personal responsibility, our personal effort. We become lazy. We get apathetic, assuming that it doesn't matter too much whether, whether we practice the disciplines or not or how we do it because it's all the same in the light of God's grace and his sovereign working out of things in the world. So we see clearly in the practice of this, the spiritual disciplines this crucial dynamic between grace, effort, and earning. We must trust in God's grace alone to save us and to sanctify us, but we must also apply effort so as to put ourselves in the place where God can do the work that only he can do. We have to walk this narrow path of disciplined grace, not veering into the ditch of moralism, not veering into the ditch of antinomianism or lawlessness. So practically what this means for us as we go back to thinking about the nature of the spiritual disciplines is we have to realize that these are more than external activities. Okay, they're more than just external activities. This is just as much about opening your heart as it is about opening your Bible. You see, we can teach you lots of different methods and mechanics for practicing the spiritual disciplines in this class and you can still walk out of here and practice them incorrectly if your heart's not walking the path of discipline grace. Which is why Whitney rightly says, while we cannot be godly without the practice of the disciplines, we can practice the disciplines without being godly if we're practicing them in the wrong way. The disciplines are by nature activities of the hand and the heart, of effort and grace. So that's just an overview of the nature of the disciplines. So now I want to talk about some reasons why we should practice the disciplines as followers of Jesus. I want to give you three purposes for the spiritual disciplines this afternoon. 
The first one is the spiritual disciplines are a means to godliness. The spiritual disciplines are a means to godliness. So the most basic answer that anyone could give as to why Christians should practice the spiritual disciplines is obedience. Okay, it would be fair and legitimate to say that a Christian should practice the spiritual disciplines because God has commanded as much in his word. And as we go through the different spiritual disciplines in this class, we're going to show you how the scriptures either assume or command directly that we practice these spiritual disciplines. So at the most basic level, we could say we do this because God said we should. But as people who trust in the authority of God's word and submit to him as Lord, it's not good to just focus on doing this as obedience because there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger vision, all right? And we can do this from time to time and certainly there are days where we have to. We have to get up and do it because we know God said to do it even if we're not really feeling it that day. So I'm not saying that doing it because you're obeying God is bad, but I'm saying if we're gonna do it consistently over a long period of time, we have to have a bigger vision for why we practice the spiritual disciplines. My son, Shepard, he's six years old. One of his chores is to unload the dishwasher. And sometimes I'll ask him to unload the dishwasher and he'll ask me why. And sometimes I will tell him because I said so. And so he will do it out of obedience, right? He's honoring his father. That's a good thing. He's doing it because he's obeying his father. But as he gets older, I'm going to need to come up with a bigger reason, right? Some vision for him to do this. I'm going to need to start saying things like, we as a family work together. We share this house. We share this space. We want it to flourish. And you have a responsibility to play in that, in the flourishing of our family. And so unloading the dishwasher is part of that, taking responsibility, right? That's a bigger vision than just, I said so. God gives us a bigger vision for why we should practice the spiritual disciplines. Dallas, or, or Whitney says, discipline without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. We need some direction. God gives us direction. Romans 8, 29 through 30 says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what Paul is saying is here is that Followers of Jesus are justified so that they might be sanctified. So that they then might be glorified. God's intent was never to save us from sin and then just leave us here on earth biding our time until we went to heaven. His intent has always been to conform us to the image of his son through justification, sanctification, and ultimately glorification. All right, that's the big picture here is Christ-likeness. We do this because we are being conformed to the image of Christ according to God's eternal purposes. And you might read those verses and think, sweet, All right, I've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now I just kind of get to sit back and let God do his thing. But that blissful thought, thought is foiled by the rest of the New Testament because the rest of the New Testament is full of these imperatives about actively and diligently 
joining God in the sanctification process. So 1 Timothy 4.7 is the one that Whitney uses as kind of his foundational verse for the spiritual discipline says, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourself for godliness. And that's a command. So we end up with these two truths. We have Romans 8. God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And 1 Timothy 4. Train yourselves to be conformed to the image of the son. And the spiritual disciplines form the bridge between these two truths. The spiritual disciplines are the means by which we train to be conformed to the image of Christ in alignment with God's sovereign will. So Whitney says, godliness, being like Jesus, is the purpose of all of this. But the God-given path to that purpose is through certain activities found in Scripture known as the spiritual disciplines. So here's a picture that might help you think about how the disciplines form the bridge between these two things. My wife and I, we have two young children at home. We have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Our younger one is in foster care. I am working full-time. She's working part-time. We're trying to homeschool our oldest. We're both involved in personal ministry. Suffice it to say, life feels chaotic like it does for many of you. And it's very easy for us, for our daily communication to devolve into pure logistics about who needs to be where and when and what needs to be prepared for the next day. And we're going about this chaotic life. We're getting the kids fed. We're getting them bathed. We're getting them to bed. And it's 9 o'clock and we're tired and we got to get ready for the next day. And we go to bed and we wake up and we do it all again. And so it's very easy for us to end up being around each other without really being with each other. And so we've realized that date nights, getting out of the house, away from the kids to a quiet place, an environment in which we can talk to one another, a place where we can listen to one another, we can have honest conversations about our relationship, we can consider any actions that we might need to take in order to increase our intimacy with one another. That's a necessary part of us, having a, a good relationship. The restaurant booth, when we go out on a date, becomes the designated meeting place where we can have meaningful fellowship, where we can move toward one another, hear from one another, speak to one another, be conformed to one another. The spiritual disciplines are like a restaurant booth with God. That's what they are. The reality for most of us as Christians living in a fast-paced world is that we are always around God Indeed, the scripture tells us that God, by his spirit, dwells in us, that we are in him, that he is in us, yet in our busyness, we can fail to be with him. And in all of our efforts to do stuff for him, we may fail to become like him. That may be the greatest tragedy of all. So how do we avoid this? It's by intentionally setting aside time to be with him in a setting where we can have intimate fellowship. And we do that through these spiritual disciplines that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. So Foster says, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace 
The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. So do you see how the spiritual disciplines are not ends in and of themselves? Right? The goal is not get the discipline done. The goal is be with God, draw near to him, hear from him, speak to him, and be transformed by him. So every analogy that we give breaks down at some point. This one about the restaurant booth breaks down in a couple ways. First, practicing the spiritual disciplines is not an occasional endeavor, right? We shouldn't practice the, uh, the spiritual disciplines as often as we practice going out on a date, unless you're going out on a date daily, which, man, if you're doing that, that's fun. Um, <laughs> practicing the, the discipline should be a daily exercise, Second point where this breaks it down is that practicing the spiritual disciplines doesn't necessitate a peaceful, romantic, or monkish environment. The reality is that we can and often must practice the spiritual disciplines in the midst of chaotic external circumstances. All right, parents out there of kids, I see you, I hear you. It's difficult. But I would say that the true test of a person's commitment to seeking God is not in his or her ability to practice the disciplines in a peaceful, romantic, or monkish situation, but in the chaotic difficulties of real life. So that takes us to the next purpose of the spiritual disciplines. We talked about the spiritual disciplines as a means to godliness. The second purpose I want you to see this afternoon, the spiritual disciplines as a means of resistance. Spiritual disciplines as a means of of resistance. Anyone who's tried to practice the spiritual disciplines has not made it far before they have realized that doing it consistently is difficult. And this maybe raises some questions for us. A common and confusing question like this. If God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus and he has commanded us to train for godliness, then why is it so hard? If God truly wants us to know him and be like him, then why is it so difficult? And the answer to those questions, like the answer to all questions about toil and struggle and evil in our world, goes back to the issue of sin. And scripture makes it clear that for the Christian, there are three big enemies in this world. There is Satan, there is a fallen world system, and there is our sinful nature. And what we're going to discover if we make the attention to start practicing the spiritual disciplines is that all three of these enemies will take up arms against us and try to stop us. Satan, the world, our own sinful nature will begin a full-scale assault to distract us, to deceive us, to dissuade us, to discourage us from knowing and loving God and making his love known to others. That's why Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 that we have been caught up in a cosmic spiritual war. He reminds us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And what does he mention 
as being the armor of God. He mentions many of the things that we associate with the spiritual disciplines. The word of God, the truth, prayer, faith, righteousness, readiness. The spiritual disciplines are the way that we take up resistance against Satan, against the broken world system, and our own sinful nature. And here are two reasons why I think this is really important for us to remember. This idea as the spiritual disciplines as a means of resistance. First is because it normalizes the reality that consistently practicing the disciplines is difficult. Most people that I talk to about practicing the spiritual disciplines struggle with doing them consistently. They struggle with staying focused on the task at hand. And they tend to think that they must surely be doing something wrong or there must be something wrong with them because it's so difficult. And I'll say it's possible in some situations that there's some type of sin going on that obstructs a person from hearing from God or maybe they just have a really bad method for trying to, to hear from God or talk to him. That's possible, but most often it's difficult to, to practice the spiritual disciplines because that's just the normal toil of wanting to know and love God east of Eden with a broken nature, living in a broken world that's under the rule of an evil nemesis. Second reason I think it's important for us to consider the spiritual disciplines as a means of resistance is because we, have it, we tend to have, in our society, a disordered view of discipline and devotion. We have a disordered view of discipline and devotion. As I talk with students, I work mostly with students, as I talk with students, here are some com- common reasons I hear them give for not consistently practicing the spiritual disciplines. I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. I know I should, but I can't get motivated. I do good for a while, but then I lose focus. I don't feel like doing it, so then I don't do it because I don't think God would be happy with me doing it if my heart's not in it. It feels like I'm just checking a box. These are some of the reasons. And If you're being honest, there are probably thoughts you've had. I know there are thoughts I've had. I've probably said several of these things at some point in my life. Virtually all of these statements illustrate a confused understanding of discipline and delight as they relate to the spiritual disciplines. The big question is, which one comes first? Does our delight drive our discipline or does our discipline drive our delight? And many people, for various reasons, believe that our delight ought to drive our discipline. So practically speaking, when it comes to the the disciplines, their perspective is when we're excited about seeking God, we do it, and it's sort of magical and effortless. But when we're not excited about seeking God, we don't do it because that would be to put discipline before delight, which is disordered worship. That's That's perspective for some people. And I think there's probably going to be a a day for for us who are followers of Christ when it will be all delight. Discipline won't even be required. There will be nothing to distract us from the praise and worship of God. But that day is not here yet. That day awaits us. And so in this earth, on this earth, it's going to take discipline. Because Satan, the world, our own sinful nature are constantly sabotaging our growth in godliness. And because of that, we shouldn't respond to a lack of motivation, a lack of focus, or a lack of desire with resignation, but with resistance. 
Don't respond with resignation, but with resistance. Resistance against the spiritual forces of evil who may be at work to deceive us, against the world which may be at work to distract us, and against the sinful self which may be at work to dissuade us from pursuing God. So how many of you have had this experience? The alarm goes off. It's time to get up, have quiet time, before everybody else gets up, and you're tired. And it's tempting to hit that snooze button. And you're laying in the bed and you're making that decision. Do I hit the snooze button or do I get up and go have my quiet time? I do not think that it's an exaggeration to say that invisible cosmic battles between light and darkness may silently and unknowingly be won or lost in those moments where we decide whether we're going to hit the snooze button or we're going to get out of bed and get on our knees. Right? We can't underestimate what God is doing here. And if we wait on devotion to drive our discipline, it may never happen. Our pursuit of the spiritual disciplines here on earth will most often be characterized by a discipline that drives devotion. If you've been around River at Long, you've heard your heart follows your investment. And the same with the spiritual disciplines. You know, that word in 1 Timothy 4, 7, discipline yourselves, is the Greek word from which we get our English word gymnasium. So it could be written, exercise yourself for godliness. If you want to grow in godliness, Paul is saying you need to get your heart, your mind, your soul in the gym. You, you need to work it out. I met many people who absolutely hated running. Running was punishment, right? Growing up, running was punishment. They hated running until they started doing it for various reasons. Maybe they had a health scare. Maybe somebody bet them they couldn't run a half marathon and they tried it, whatever. They hated running until they started doing it. And guess what? After a while, they really started to love running. I've met people who just the thought of sitting alone in silence and solitude for five minutes. They hated the idea until they started doing it. And over time, they learned to love it, to enjoy it. It became a delight. Which leads us to the final purpose of the spiritual disciplines. The last thing I want to say this afternoon is the purpose of the spiritual disciplines as a means of blessing. The spiritual disciplines as a means of blessing so our society views discipline as the enemy of delight. We touched on that a little bit. But it also views fidelity as the enemy of freedom. Right? Our society would say discipline is the enemy of delight. Fidelity is the enemy of freedom. So to commit oneself to a disciplined regimen, whether that be eating healthy or rigorous exercise or raising children, is often viewed as, from our society as condemnation to the no-fun zone. Right, Committing oneself exclusively to another person in marriage or making a long-term commitment to an employer is to tie oneself down. You cut off your options for freedom. Discipline is the enemy of delight. Fidelity is the enemy of freedom. But Scripture teaches quite the opposite. Scripture actually teaches that discipline and delight sing duet and that fidelity and freedom are friends. Remember Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It's the inspiration for this logo right behind me. It says, Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The word blessed, blessed there means to be happily under the divine favor of God. To be happily under the divine favor of God. And we read this and we think, that is what I want. I want to be happily under the divine favor of God. I want to be like a big, strong tree that yields abundant fruit and season whose leaves do not wither. I want everything I do to prosper. But we have to stop and ask ourselves this. Did this great delight come apart from discipline? Did this great freedom come apart from fidelity? The answer is no. It's the exact opposite. The blessed man's delight came by discipline. And his freedom came through fidelity to God. And many of us want to be like the blessed man, but we don't want to do what the blessed man does. We want to delight in the law of the Lord, but meditate on it day and night? That sounds like a lot of work. We want to bear fruit in every season, but to be stuck there by the stream of water, to give up the option to go anywhere else, sounds like limiting our freedom. We can want the blessing without the disciplines, but rarely is that how God works. The spiritual disciplines are often God's means of blessing in our lives. Whitney says the only road to Christian maturity and godliness passes through the practice of the spiritual disciplines and there is no greater blessing for the Christian than growth in maturity, growth in godliness. I want to pray for us and then Brenda's going to come up here and start talking about Bible intake. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being a God of love and mercy and kindness and justice and righteousness for all of your character, all of it entails. We thank you for your activity in redeeming us, speaking to us, revealing yourself to us, saving us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to know you, that you're not a God who's far away, that you're an imminent God who's drawn near to us, that we can know you, that we can seek you, that we can hear from you and talk to you and know that we've been heard. We confess to you that we are feeble and fickle and all our efforts fall short and yet we confess to you that we want to know you and we want to be made like you and we pray that you would just continue to give us clarity and courage to do those very things through the spiritual disciplines as we work through them in the next few weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you hear me now? Okay. <laughs> okay, so I'm really excited to be able to participate in this class with you all because 
when I took seminary, I was able to take this class with Dr. Whitney, who wrote the book, and it was one of my favorite classes. And at the end of it, one of the things that I said, and I think he asked us to review it, as I was like, this is potentially life-changing. And you guys can understand why I said potentially, right? Because was I going to put it into practice? Was I going to put myself in a position to encounter God? And so even as I've been reading and preparing, it's just getting me excited again. And I hope that it will do that for you all as well, because I know we're all at various places in our walk with God, right? But we're all trying to get direction, not perfection. And so we do these course corrections along the way. And so I am going to pray again because you can't ever pray too much. But I want you, I'm going to read a verse and use that to pray for us. So pray with me. Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart, for I bear your name, Lord God of armies. Father, we are so grateful for your word. And God, I pray that we would consume your word. And I pray that you would just reignite or add fuel to the fire in us to have a desire for your word. May they become and continue to be a delight to us and the joy of our hearts because, God, we bear your name. Amen. So God wants us to grow. He wants us to look more like him. He's not trying to make this hard for us. And so I think it's helpful to remember that, that God is for you, God is for us, and he wants this for us. He wants us to look more like him. He wants us to reflect him to a world that doesn't know him. And so I'm going to talk about Bible intake, as Trace said, but first I'm going to talk just a little bit more about the spiritual disciplines because it's so foundational of the importance of the disciplines in Bible intake. And there are three primary catalysts that God uses to change us, and those are circumstances, people, and the spiritual disciplines. And the third one, the disciplines, is the one of three that we have some influence over. And so I want you to hear again what Trace already read to you, a quote from Dr. Whitney. He says, Godliness, being like Jesus, is the purpose, but the God-given path to that purpose is through certain activities found in Scripture known as the spiritual disciplines. So as he already said, the spiritual disciplines are the means to get to where we want to go. They are not the goal. And you'll probably hear us say that a few more times in these next few weeks because we want you to remember that. We want to do the disciplines, but the goal is not the disciplines. So the goal is godliness, to look more like Jesus and to reflect him to a watching world. The path is the spiritual disciplines. The power is God's word and spirit, and the gift is grace, and he gives us more and more grace to do these things. So spiritual disciplines is the path that we take in order to put ourselves in a position to encounter God. And the Bible is full of stories, if you look for them, of how people put themselves in Jesus' path. And so I want you to listen to just a few of those stories. Luke 18 tells the story of a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, and I'm going to call him Bart for the rest of this time. So Bart was sitting by the road near Jericho when a large and excited crowd came near. 
And when he asked what was happening, he was told that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And even his social outcasts like Bart had heard the incredible stories about Jesus that had come from all over Israel during the past few years. And immediately he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were leading the procession were embarrassed and they told him to keep quiet. But he only cried out more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So to everyone's amazement, Jesus stopped and called for that blind beggar. And in response to his faith, Jesus miraculously healed Bart of his blindness. So the second story is in Luke 19. It's the account of the tax collector Zacchaeus, heretofore known as Zach. And some of you may know the song from Superchurch. I learned that one as an adult. I didn't learn it as a kid. But because Zach was not very tall, he was unable to see Jesus in the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed into... Sycamore tree, thank you, to see Jesus when he passed by. And so when Jesus came to the place of the tree, he looked up, called Zach by name, and told him to come down. So the two of them went off to the tax collector's house, where Zach believed in Christ for salvation, and he resolved to give half of his belongings to the poor and return with interest all the tax money he had wrongfully taken. And the last story is in Mark 5, and it's about an unnamed woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. I can't. I cannot imagine how she suffered. But scripture tells us she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, spent all the money she had, and instead of getting better, she got worse. So when she heard about Jesus, she went to where he was. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She didn't even call out to him. She touched his cloak, and she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And so immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So... Those are just three. You can find many more stories in the gospel about men and women who pursued encounters with Jesus. And so the point I want you to catch here is that each one of them had obstacles that could prevent them from getting to Jesus. Some were physical. There was blindness, small stature, bleeding. Some were social. The crowd tried to hush the beggar. The woman who was bleeding was considered unclean. And the tax collectors certainly weren't looked upon too fondly. And I'm sure, of course, they all had logistical um, obstacles as well. But they persisted, they put all those things aside, and they chose to put themselves in a place where they could encounter Jesus. Now, they couldn't dictate what could happen. And maybe they had previously tried to encounter Jesus, and maybe nothing happened, at least in what they could see. But we know that they put themselves in the position in these three accounts, and they were successful. So their encounters were a result of intentional action on their part. Maybe they could have accidentally encountered Jesus, but they pursued Jesus. They found out where he was, and they went there. So Trace talked about how we have to put ourselves in the path of disciplined grace to encounter Jesus, and I just think that's really a helpful idea, that we have to move and we have to choose. And so there was a memorable way that Dr. Whitney explained this in his class, and he equated it to you have a destination in mind, and you know where you want to go, and you know you have to catch a bus to get there. And so if you know that you need to get on the bus, then you figure out where to catch the bus, you find out the route, the time, the schedule, and you go there and you wait. And oddly enough, how I recall the rest of this story is him saying that if you want to get hit by the bus, you better go stand in the street where the bus is. So, but I'm not sure if he maybe actually just said you need to get on the bus, because really, that's what we want to do. We don't want to get hit by the bus. We want to get on the bus and travel that path with Jesus. 
So whatever is helpful, you all remember that. And so I'd be interested to know what he actually said if I translated that in my head that you get hit by the bus. So, you know, far better to intentionally get on the bus than to accidentally get hit by the bus because we can accidentally encounter Jesus or unintentionally encounter him. And so as you listen today and the following weeks, I want you to think about what are the obstacles that keep you from pursuing an encounter with Jesus? Because we all have them. We all have to overcome them. So are they physical? Are they social? Are they logistical? Are they motivational, as Trace talked about? So these are called disciplines because we have to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness because it is definitely a discipline to engage these over a period of time. So I find it very helpful to keep the vision and the goal in mind when I want to pursue godliness. And so as you listen, I want you to keep a couple of other things in mind that maybe a lot or some of this that you hear us talk about is familiar, but I really urge you to work to hear it afresh, to ask the Lord what he wants you to hear, and to ask him what he would have you do. Because you may be in a different season of life right now than you were a year ago, a month ago, five years ago. And maybe what worked for you in high school or college or even any other time doesn't work for you now. So we have to change our approach. And sometimes our time will increase. I'm not just saying it decreases. Clearly, there are times it decreases, but sometimes it increases. And you probably are all wondering, well, when is that? But it may come. So, but I really want you to have hope about the impact that God's word and the disciplines can have on your life because he really is for us, and he wants us to be successful. So we all want to grow, and we're all going to do so in stumbling ways. And Trace talked about the battle against sin and the pull of the world, and it's encouraging to me sometimes to recall Romans 7. And I imagine that many of you remember this, where Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. He talks about the inner war within and how he struggles to do what he knows is right. And he follows it up by saying, In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law waging war within me. And he means the battle against sin. So, But listen to how he ends that passage. He says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we know that Paul employed the disciplines as a means of resistance, which you heard Trace talk about. So don't be discouraged. Consider the opportunities to move forward, and remember, like I said, that it's about direction and not perfection. So I want you to listen as I read some scriptures, and listen to how they describe the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul and spirit and joints from marrow. It's able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. And then the last one there, I love this one. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. The Bible's unlike any other book. It's God's inspired word. It's living and active. And Terry even talked about this this morning. We should not approach the Bible in the same way that we approach 
um, any other book or a newspaper, as he talked about, because the Bible is the story of God. More specifically, we see creation, fall, redemption, the new heavens and the new earth. And so it is not just a self-help book. It is not a vending machine where we put something in and get something out, although it certainly does help us. And so we want our approach to God's word to be God-centered and not me-centered. So Dr. Whitney says that there is no more important spiritual discipline than Bible intake. And it may be the most familiar to you, but because it's the most familiar, it's important that we have and maintain a vision for the importance of it because it is the foundation upon which all of the other disciplines are built. And so why do we call it Bible intake and not just reading? Well, you probably already figured this out because Terry kind of gave me the perfect segue because he talked about three of the methods, which we're going we're gonna to touch on today. He talked about listening, reading, and study, or hearing, reading, and study. And so over this week and next week, we're going to talk about five different methods, and they're up on your screen. Hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate, all with a goal of application. Because all five of these together help us get a better grasp. And maybe you're wondering, do I have to do all five of these? And I would encourage you to practice all of them. You won't necessarily practice all of them in every time that you are, in, are um, spending time with God. You might focus on one more than the other some days, but the goal is to get a better grasp on Scripture. And different methods will help you to grasp them in different ways. And this isn't a perfect example, but I was thinking about this because there's a series of fiction books that I like. And I've read them over the years there were movies made about them. I've watched the movies, and then recently I've been listening to the audiobooks. And as I've listened, I've been like, I don't remember that from the book. And I didn't see that in the movie. And so even though I had read it, I'm hearing it again in a different way as I listen to it. And so imagine how much more, given that we're, we're approaching the Word of God, imagine how much more that living and active Word can speak to us if we pursue different ways of encountering it. So the purpose of all of the methods of Bible intake is to keep the word, to hold on to it, to apply it, to obey it. And because we don't want to just do the disciplines. So the first one is hearing, hearing for the purpose of godliness. And so maybe that's the discipline that's the easiest or most common method to take in the Bible. But why is this a discipline then? Well, because you still must choose to hear God's word regularly, not accidentally or just occasionally. And the primary and most important way of hearing the word is to attend church in gathered community with other believers. And we saw during COVID, right, that some of that went away, the public um, gathering to hear God's word. And it was hard for some people to switch back and to come. So Luke 11.28 said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it or keep it is another translation. Romans 10.17, faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. And then in 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy and us, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. And so when there is public reading of scripture, we can hear it, right? So the Bible places importance on the public reading of scripture, which is one of many scriptures that tell us about why a gathered community is so important. So clearly hearing scripture is important and inspected. 
And so with this discipline, as with others, there is both a personal application of hearing scripture and a corporate or community aspect of hearing scripture. And many of those disciplines, you will want to practice both. So I have been thinking about these in a few different categories, like plan, prepare, and do. How do we plan? How do we prepare? And then how do we do them? What are some tools that we do them? And so... Clearly, we have to plan to physically show up, but we also want to be prepared to hear. And so what does that look like, you know, as you plan to hear the word? And I was talking with some friends about this just recently, but how do you plan to be prepared to hear the word when you come on Sunday? Do you plan to get into the sanctuary a few minutes before it starts so that you can switch gears and be ready to hear the word of God? I know that this is something I've been challenged in to be better ready instead of standing outside and talking to people all the time. And so Dr. Whitney reminds us that we need to consider what we're here for, and it's, it's not the same as going to a concert or to a basketball game where you just need to show up physically. Not trying to make you feel guilty, but it's good to think about these things. So as you plan... Ask yourself the question, how can I plan to hear the word so that I am ready to engage with God's word and worship him? So think about obstacles that you might encounter. So first we plan and then we prepare. So how do you prepare your heart and your mind to hear and engage and participate? So it's heart and hands. And so Job 23, 12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily food. How do I prepare my heart to treasure him and his word more that way? So there are some ideas for you. You might have others, but, you know, if it's possible, start using your car time on the way here, right? I sometimes listen to um, the YouVersion Bible app, and I listen to this, the scripture that we talked about in the previous Sunday, if I know that we're in a series, or I spend my time praying. And if you have kids, if they're old enough, you could even start helping them prepare their hearts to hear the word of God, because we really want them to be excited about coming to Super Church and seeing their friends and their teachers and getting a sucker afterwards. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, do you ever see the crowd of kids getting suckers? It's quite the popular thing, but we also want to start training them to be excited about hearing more about God, and so we want to model that. And and of course, if you're driving by yourself, you have even more options. So we plan and we prepare, and then we actually do the discipline. And so in this case, doing the discipline would be engaging, listening, or hearing the Word of God. And so Some of the things that I've thought about, how can I prepare to do that, how can I actually do it, is when you get in the sanctuary, try spending a minute or two in prayer. You know, get in here when they're still playing the instrumental music, if you've noticed that we do that. We play instrumental music before we start singing. It'd be a great opportunity to sit down and just to engage with God. And, you know, ask him to calm your heart. Ask him to speak to you through his word, help you to switch gears and to empower whoever is preaching. And it doesn't have to take an extended period of time. And if you get in here after everybody's already singing and standing, there's nothing that says that you can't sit and pray to help you engage, because we really want to be able to hear the word. So maybe you need to think about where you sit in the sanctuary. There are some places that I can sit that are less distracting than others. 
You know, some people can sit by the sanctuary doors and not be distracted. Somebody else might need to sit up front. And I'm not just talking about, like, hearing the volume of the word. I'm talking about what's going to help you focus and engage. So have you, the other thing to consider is have you turned off your phone? And I know a lot of people use their phones for their Bible. I do that too. But if you can't pick up your phone without looking at a text or email or Instagram, maybe think about bringing a physical Bible with you. You know, fewer and fewer people actually do that now. And one of the ways that I've started trying to do this, anybody here when we did Proverbs? Do you remember those scripture journals that we had? Well, they have a whole, they have 66 of those. Everyone, one for every book of the Bible. And so I bring a scripture journal, and it just has the one book of the Bible, and then it has a place where I can take notes. And so that helps me to not be distracted if I get a text, even though my phone is silenced. It helps me to focus on the word. It helps me to take notes, which actually helps me to listen better and absorb it, hopefully. So those are just some examples, and maybe you have other things that are helpful to you. So let's look. Let's look next at the personal practice of hearing God's word. So we all know there are a multitude of ways that we can hear the word of God. There's podcasts, there's Bible apps, there's all kinds of things. And so the same, same principles apply for personally hearing scripture as far as planning and preparing. So I won't go into those yet, but you know, you need to, you do, well, I guess I will. I'm going to go into it just a little bit. So Terry said this this morning. He's like, the best plan is the one that you're actually going to do. But the encouragement is to plan. Plan how you're going to come into the service. Plan how you're going to actually hear the word. And don't forget to prepare your heart. And you may not feel anything, right? I'm not saying you're going to feel something. But ask God to help you hear his word. And so there are so many apps And so I'll name just a few, and don't worry about trying to write these down, because at the very end, we're going to put a slide up with some of these resources, and which will clearly not be exhaustive. There's no way we could list them all. But I already mentioned the YouVersion Bible. Anybody here already use that? Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty well-known one. Um, There's also the Bible Recap, which is a podcast that helps you to go through the scripture and... Um, you can listen to the scripture on your phone and listen to the Bible recap, which helps you to understand it better. So there's also a lot of sermons available online if you want to listen to more than the river sermon. And, you know, the thing that I encourage you here is if you are going to other resources, part of what we have to learn to do is to discern what's biblical and what's not biblical. And I know maybe that could be a little bit overwhelming, but if you... Um, look at a website, they are going to have information about their, about their beliefs generally. And if they don't, that's already a yellow flag for me, if they don't put information about their beliefs, if not a red flag. But some of the things that I look for are, what do they believe about salvation? What do they believe about the Bible? Are they teaching a prosperity gospel? And there's probably more that we could name, right, Trace? Lots of other things. But the point here is that you can use... Use some discernment, because there are some voices out there that have wide appeal, but they're not necessarily biblical. Some of them are, but not all of them. So ask the staff if you need help. Somebody just actually texted me this week to ask me about one of the podcasts I just mentioned. So 
It's great. We're we're glad to really help you all if you want to try and discern between some of these. And the more that you do it, the more you're going to discern, right? The more you're in the Word, the more you're going to be like, that doesn't sound quite right. Okay, second method, reading. So reading for the purpose of godliness. So reading is exposure to Scripture, and exposure is about spending time with God in His Word on a regular basis. So Matthew 4 says, as Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the word or comes from the mouth of God. And um, these statistics are amazing. And this has actually been a few years ago, so they may be worse now, that one survey found that fewer than 18% of people who say they're Christians read the Bible every day. And then 23% of people who say they are Christians never read the Bible. And there is no minimum time that you need to be spending reading the Bible. Because did you know that if you read just one chapter a day for three years, you'll be nearly through the entire Bible? That was surprising to me when I heard that. One chapter a day. If you read three chapters a day in the Old Testament and three in the New Testament, you're going to finish the Old Testament once and the New Testament four times in a year. So it's clear in the Bible that people heard the word, but Jesus also expected them to read the word as it was available to us. And so Jesus often asked questions about people's understanding of the scriptures, sometimes beginning with the words, have you not read? And we find that in Mark 19 and Mark 12, among other places. And he assumed that those who claimed to be people of the God would be in the word. And he was speaking specifically here to Pharisees, priests, and teachers of the law. And we have far more access now than people would have had in Jesus' time. But they still had access, many of them, to the written word of God and the Old Testament. And Jesus expected that if we had access, that we would be reading it. So let's jump to some of that practical application. So probably say this again over and over, make a plan right? If you don't plan to do something, then you're maybe not going to do it nearly as often. So three suggestions for a plan. Set a time, use a reading plan, find a word, phrase, or verse to meditate on every time you read. And we're going to talk more about meditation next week. But meditation is really key to us being able to retain what we've read. And so, again, the best plan is the one that you're going to follow. And it's really good to hear how other people practice the disciplines, but just know that you may not be like them. Your circumstances, your wiring may not be like them. So if it is, then do what they do or try to do what they do. But be okay if yours doesn't look like theirs. And so, you know, the preparation. Pray Psalm 119.18 before you read. It's super quick. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And then again, consider your physical body, right? We all know our physical body plays a role in how we engage. So I'm, if I'm listening to scripture, I'm not very good at just by myself. I'm not very good about sitting at my house and just listening to scripture. But I can, I can listen when I'm doing something else. I can listen when I'm driving. I can, you know better engage it. And I know that some people get out of their house and go to work early so that they can sit there and have a few minutes by themselves to read. So if you get in a rut, switch it up. So sometimes I focus better at home, sometimes at work. So then what do you do? 
Well, there's that reading plan we've already talked about, and the YouVersion Bible app has a bazillion of them. And then I just learned about a website that looks really helpful. You can create your own reading plan on it. And the name of it is up on the slide that'll be up in just a little bit. So you can start, you can choose the start date because for some of you, it's January 7th, and some of these start on January 1st, and it's gonna drive you nuts that you aren't on task with that. You're gonna try to catch up or you're gonna give up. But you can choose your own plan. You can choose five days a week or seven days a week. You can choose to read it chronologically. You can choose to, to read in the Old Testament and the New Testament and then other places. There's something that I never know how to pronounce. I think it's the McShane plan. Is that right, Aaron? There's no C. Well, there's only one C in there, but anyway, I can send you the spelling and then you'll know why I can't figure it out. But it's the McShane plan. So there's a Scottish pastor of years gone by that developed this way of reading the Bible, which I find really engaging because it's helpful to me to read different places in the scripture as opposed to just starting in, in Genesis. And I, kudos to you if you can do that. And I've done that, but it helps me to read in multiple places. So you can read devotionals, right? We have the, the River Devotionals, five a week, and they're based on the, the sermon. You can find other devotionals, but you need to use discernment on these as well. So my mom's 90, and every year for Christmas, I get her new devotional. And because I know that she wakes up, she sits at her breakfast counter, eats breakfast, and reads her devotional. And so I look for one that is... Um, has scripture written out in the Bible and not just references because it's too easy to skip through that and not read those if all it says is the reference. I look for one that's clearly Christ-centered and one that gives her a brief application point and a prayer of the day because there's lots of stuff out there. There's lots of inspirational books and some of them may be good, but they're not the word of God, right? This is why we're doing the word of God, pursuing the word of God. So those are things that you can do personally, and there's also ways to read the Bible with people. I know Jim Lewis is doing a lot of this. Um, there's the commuter Bible, and you could do this with any of them, but he likes the commuter Bible app, and he listens to it, and he's got some other guys that are listening to it, and then I think sometimes they're meeting in person to talk about it. I think sometimes they're test texting each other, and I've heard of pe other people who have done the Bible recap, and they text each other about what they've thought, and what a great way to help yourself be accountable, right, and to hear what other people are thinking. So with Bible reading, the emphasis is not just on quantity, although it does give us more breadth, but quality is important too, and Quality is about helping you retain what you read. And so when we get to meditation next week, we're going to talk about that. And next week, we'll, we'll talk about a number of ways that you can meditate on Scripture. So this is just laying some of the groundwork. So the third method of Bible intake is study for the purpose of godliness. So study can be extended periods of time delving into the Bible, but it doesn't have to be. It can be a shorter period of time. It can just be the difference between reading and then also getting out a pen and a piece of paper to write some insights. Ezra 7.10 tells us, he set his heart to study the law of God, to practice it and teach it. So do you hear that? He set his heart. 
So he had a plan, and he prepared his heart, and he put it into practice. So all of that in one short scripture. So reading gives us breadth. We can cover more, but study gives us depth. And so there's a saying that I like that's up on the screen. It says, the Bible is shallow enough to wade in and deep enough to swim in. And I like that because it means the Bible is accessible to everyone, right? It doesn't matter how old you are in your faith or um, chronologically because God wants us to be successful. So study is going to look differently depending on the person. And studying for you doesn't need to look like and most likely won't look like what it does for Terry when he's preparing for a sermon. So study could be writing down those insights. It can also be using tools. And some of you will be familiar with these, but I think some of these we don't talk about as much. So there's a concordance. So, and it's funny to talk about these because when I learned about them, they were all printed and you had hard copies and you can still get those. You know, there's a concordance if you have a study Bible. It's just an index of words and topics in the back. And then there's the big Strong's Concordance. That one takes a little getting used to, how you, how you use that. But you can also find all of these things online. You know, one of the things that I use a concordance for is um, just as different words or phrases strike, strike me. So when Trace was reading Psalm 1, you know, one of the things that I have thought about over the years, and I love it, is how God uses repeated things in the Scripture. So even the idea of tree, right? Have you thought about how often tree is put in the Bible? You know, the cross is from a tree. Um, he talks about the tree bearing fruit in so many ways. And so it's just that's how I use a concordance. And maybe those aren't the things that strike you. Maybe it's something else. But, you know, the key is to listen for the Holy Spirit highlighting a word or a phrase or an idea and look those up. So there are a couple other options that are kind of a blend of a Bible study book and a brief commentary. So anybody remember Cliff Notes? Ah, lots of people. So do you know there's something called Shepherd's Notes? So they're tiny. I have one back in the um, sound booth, but they're just tiny little books. And if you don't want to dive into a huge commentary, you know, I, I recommended this to someone who was wanting to go through the book of Luke with a friend and wasn't quite sure how to do that. And so it just gives you a little bit of background, a little bit of application, and it focuses on the word. There's also something called Life Application Bible Commentary. It's a little bit bigger than Shepherd's Notes, but not huge. And so, you know, like I said, there's no way we can tell you all the tools, but we're just trying to give you an idea of a few of them. So, Study doesn't have to be complex. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. So we've kind of downloaded a lot of this on you to set some um, foundation, but here's the thing I want to challenge you with, and we're gonna, I'm going to wrap up, and then I think we might have time for questions if anybody has questions. But, you know, putting it into practice this is the key here. So what do you want to do this week to put yourself in the path to intentionally encounter God? How can you plan, prepare, and do the discipline of hearing next week at Sunday services? Is there anything that you want to do? Ask the Lord anything he wants you to do. And then if you haven't set a plan for how to read, you know, I know a lot of times people are, have set a new plan on January 1st. Think about what you want to do if you haven't already. Set a time, pick a plan, and look for something that the Spirit highlights out of that. So 
Next week, we're going to talk about memorization and meditation, and Trace is going to talk about worship, right? All right. So there is, if you want to screenshot it, there's just a few of those. And feel free to ask me or Trace or Aaron or your friends of other options. So do we have time for a Q&A, Trace? Okay. All right. Anybody have a question?